0: Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Candu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at canduCFC.com. So we are in part four of 1 uh, Corinthians. And uh, our assignment from this last week was to read 1 Corinthians 3. Show of hands, let's, you know, let's encourage each other and, and maybe testify by a show of hands. How many of us spent a little bit of time at least looking over 1 Corinthians 3 this last week? Praise the Lord. Hey, look around. Keep your hands up, friends. Look around, and let's, let's try to double that number next week. Not because Jeff says so, but because the Bible is the, is the word of God. This is the truth, right? Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that's where we live. We do not live if we do not have the Bible functioning in our lives. So I would encourage you to to keep pressing in together. This is why we meet as a church, right? Doing this on our own is tough. But when we do this together, say, oh, I I saw some other people doing this. I want to join them in that. There's encouragement in that, okay? So let me recap just a little bit about what we've talked about so far in the first couple chapters of Corinthians, or of the first letter to Corinthians Paul wrote this letter because the church had become divided, and because people were thinking more like people and less like followers of Jesus. There's two distinct ways to think, and Jesus, He is the one who leads our life. He's the way who He's the one who leads us in the way that we should think and approach decisions and things like that. When we move away from Jesus's mind and we start to trust more in our own mind or in the minds of people around us, we then have taken our eyes off of Jesus, and that's what brought about some trouble in the church in Corinth. A big lesson that we learned so far is that true wisdom is found only in Jesus, not in human sophistication. And God's Holy Spirit is the one who reveals wisdom, who is Jesus, to us. And in 1 Corinthians 2, we, we learned something interesting. I'm going to just highlight this because we're going to kind of jump off of that point as we start into chapter 3 today. But in, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said, we speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So we learn Paul, what Paul meant, that he and other teachers like Apollos, for example, they can speak freely about Jesus to those who are spiritually mature, people who are living out their Christian faith, who are on a trajectory of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, journeying towards heaven with some intention and some urgency in their life. So he says we can speak freely about Jesus and all things with him, or about him, when we're with people who are spiritually mature. But here, starting in chapter 3, however, Paul changes his tune. So let's read the first four verses. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So these verses cut to the root of the problem of the church of Corinth, and Paul's kind of been working towards kind of a a climax this morning in the first couple chapters, Paul says it in three in verse three, he says, You are still worldly. Why would Paul say this? Because the people in the church in Corinth were were acting like regular people. They were not acting like God's people who have access to the Holy Spirit and, and whose lives are meant to be guided by the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be an infant in Christ. We believe in Jesus, but we still live mostly like we used to live before we trusted in Jesus. Spiritual immaturity is bad news for the Corinthians and for any church because it can cause or it can lead to issues like jealousy and quarreling like we see in this passage. And when those things are the the makeup of a church, when those are the things that define a church, it's tragic because Christ calls us to unity with one another, not to be at odds with each other. In Jim Putman's book, Real Life Discipleship, Putman offers a helpful description of what a spiritual infant is. It's it's actually a brilliant book because he talks about levels of maturity in Christ, like infants, uh, children, young adults, and parents, kind of the same uh, ways that we mature as regular people, but he, he puts those into a spiritual context. So here's a quote from his book. Every new Christian starts out as a spiritual infant as new believers they are excited and eager to learn however in many ways they tend to make messes they are oblivious to what this new world is all about they are characterized by the word ignorance they might not they might know many things but they are ignorant of the rules of in their new spiritual life so putman goes on to explain a little bit more about this but I thought this was a great definition it's like okay They're not bad people, they just haven't learned how to function within the context of a relationship with Jesus. They know that they love Jesus, they know that they want to follow him, but they're still learning about what that means. And I think that definition helps us understand a little bit more, once again, about what was going on in Corinth. So spiritual infants, I think they have this this new and exciting faith, which is great. Um, they just have a lot to learn and I think I've been at that stage I know I have as a matter of fact and I think all of us have too in church spiritual infants I believe and this is also something I'm kinda jumping off of from Jim Putman's book here is spiritual infants make statements and you can kinda recognize them by the way these statements begin a lot of their statements begin with the word I okay so they'll say in my opinion or I want to see this happen. I'm not comfortable with this. I think we should do that, etc., etc. Those kind of statements, when those are the things that consistently spill out of our mouth, that may point to some sort of spiritual infancy or a maturing that needs to happen. Because is the church about I or about me? No, it's not. The church is the body of Christ. It's the entire group. It's the family of God, and that's the context in which we need to speak, not about what I want or what I think should happen. So spiritual infants, their life is still all about them, and that's okay. We just need to recognize it. So we can see this happening in Corinth because they said things like, I think Paul is the best teacher, or I think that there's wisdom in Apollos. Remember, those are the main things why, why Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians. People were divided in the church because they were making their decisions based on their preferences in whatever teacher they wanted to follow. These immature believers are stating their, their very human opinions about Paul and Apollos, and that's what's bringing about the unhealthy conflict. So once again, Paul points them back to Jesus. Let's read verse 5 here. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So, this verse minimizes the importance of Apollos and Paul since they are just servants. Now, who do they serve? They serve Jesus. And that's the point. Paul's saying, guys, we're just servants. Who are we serving? Let's focus on the one, right? Let's focus on Christ. Paul and Apollos are simply doing the work that Jesus has assigned to them to do, which is teaching people about Jesus. So when we focus on the teacher rather than on the message of the one that they're teaching us about, we miss the mark. And that's what happened in Corinth. Verses uh, 6 to 9. Paul continues saying, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So the most important thing that we need to see in this little section of verses is this. God gives the growth, not people. I don't cause anyone to grow spiritually. You don't cause anyone to grow spiritually. We don't have that kind of power. That is reserved for God. So that's why Paul Paul explains it so perfectly in this word analogy. He says, I plant and Apollos waters. They both contribute to things that will bring about growth. But who's the one who causes the growth? It's Christ alone. And that's the point that Paul's making. Guys, don't focus on the teacher. Focus on Jesus. You know, I think about uh, our testimonies from last week, and I thought they were all marvelous of how we talked about instances in our life where someone poured into us, or someone taught us something, or someone prayed for us, and... It wasn't about us standing up here and giving those people glory, because like you said already this morning, Karen, God received the glory in each person's life. I think about, Adriana, your testimony. You said that your mom gave you a Bible, and Sharon talked to you about Jesus. But did we exalt Lisa and Sharon? No, we exalted Christ because he is the one who met you in your need, and he's the one who you started a relationship with. And that's just, it's a beautiful and simple way for us to be remembering that's right. It's not about anything besides Jesus Christ. As we serve God, uh, another lesson that we can learn from this, this section here is as we serve God, he causes the growth that he desires. And on top of that, he offers a reward according to how faithfully we have obeyed him by serving him. So Paul and Apollos are examples of that. They both had a part to play in the maturing of the church in Corinth. And I think this is such an exciting detail knowing that god wants to reward us for faithfully serving him and obeying him this has been a personal motivation in my life for many years to keep doing what god has put in my life as the purpose for what i'm supposed to do the reward mentioned here in uh, in our first corinthians passage makes me think about the principle that jesus taught in, us in matthew 6 verse 19 to 21 He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Personally, friends, I've thought about this often, not because I'm ever disgruntled at at, my, at this church or anything like that, but I would think often about what it would be like to work once again in a non-ministry job, right? Like just to, to work a nine-to-five somewhere at the grocery store or the post office or whatever, and I just think, what would that be like? How would that work? Would I be satisfied? Would, would what God has for me in that place be, what, be as satisfying as what I'm doing for Him right now? And I think each and every one of us has a mission God has placed us specifically in the spot we're supposed to be. Some of us farm. Some of us work with people in in the care home or in the hospital, loving them and caring for them and and meeting their needs. Some of us are teachers, and and God's placed us in a school as a missionary to a community. I don't know if we should ever look and say, I want to be somewhere else. I know I don't want to be somewhere else because I think God has something so specific for us that it's our joy to live out His will in our lives. Would you agree with that, friends? Like, I wouldn't want to change anything in your life or in my life unless Christ directed us to. So for me, I don't think I want to store up treasures in any way, shape, or form other than the way Christ has directed us to. I think by us being faithful in the places where we are, loving people, praying for them, serving them, encouraging them, meeting their needs, telling them about Jesus— we're not, we're, we're not doing it for the paycheck at that point. We're doing it because we see eternal value in the work that Christ has given us to do here and that we will receive that reward one day when we meet Jesus in heaven. So for me, and I encourage you to do this too, let's continue pursuing the treasure that only comes in the form of a heavenly reward. Don't settle for something less. Don't settle for something counterfeit or phony that will take your eyes off of something eternal one other thing to notice from this section in, is verse 9. Uh, Paul states that, that not only are he and Apollos working together to serve God, but the focus of their work is God's church. Referring to the church as God's field or God's building is a metaphor that Paul's using, and he's going to continue using this metaphor now as we look at verse 10. So Paul says, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that God has given him the ability to preach the gospel of Jesus to the Corinthians. The gospel, the truth about who Jesus is, that He lived and died and gave His life as a sacrifice for our sins, that is the only foundation for faith in Jesus. And we need to keep relying on Jesus, not only from the moment that we first meet Him on the day of our salvation, but we need to keep trusting in that foundation of salvation in Jesus from now until eternity. Nothing else can take the place of that foundation in our hearts. But the Corinthians, what was happening was they were slipping back onto a foundation that their culture promoted, human wisdom and intellect. And Paul's reminding them, guys, it's not about your understanding. It's not about, you know, seeking out who sounds philosophically wise in your mind. It's about Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the foundation. Trusting in him, believing in him. That's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. But faith in Jesus is just the beginning It's now time to build onto this foundation of our faith in Jesus, both in the life of the church, so us corporately, but also in the life of the individual. Each of us individually is supposed to have something that happens after that moment where we put our trust in Jesus. The foundation is laid when we say, Jesus, I can't be good enough without you. I need your forgiveness, I need your healing in my life, I need you to wash away my sins so that I can be forgiven and enter heaven one day. That's the foundation, but it's not supposed to stop there. No one would build a house just with a concrete slab, they would then build that slab and then build onto it. There is more stuff to follow. Do you you understand what I'm saying? So now, because it's time for us to build as a church and as an individual, after we put our faith in Jesus, we need to understand how this is supposed to work. So Paul laid the foundation and now others are building on it. Think about yourself for, your, for just a moment here. One person probably in your life helped you understand your need to trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you, you might have been a person who picked up a Bible on your own and, and came to that conclusion all by yourself, but even in that moment the Holy Spirit was ministering to you laying that foundation, right? Someone most likely told you about Jesus. For me, it was my mom and my dad, and I remember uh, when I was four years old, I can, I, I'm so thankful that God helps us to remember these, these turning point key moments in our lives. I remember being four years old, driving in our Chevette, past a cemetery, and I asked my mom and dad, what happens when you die? Because I knew that people, when you die, you go to a, a cemetery and your body's buried in the ground, but what happens after that? My mom explained it to me. And praise the Lord, I remember that conversation. I remember bowing my head, looking down at the floor mat in our car, and praying to receive Christ into my life. So I remember that was the moment where, where my mom, she laid the foundation in my life because she's the one who led me to Jesus. But now there were other things that needed to happen in my life. Sunday school teachers and youth leaders and youth pastors and, and pastors and other godly men and women, they continued to pour into my life. Would you agree Like that has happened for you as well? And without those things, don't we just kind of exist with this bare bones foundation, but the immaturity persists? We need to build more. We need to grow beyond that peace because spiritual infancy is not the goal. It's spiritual maturity. So each person is meant to build onto their lives. Even ourselves, we are meant to build onto our lives as we learn to read the Bible and follow the the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we are adding on to that spiritual foundation. We believe in Jesus. Now what? Let's add on to this. In verse 12, Paul explains once again through this building metaphor a little bit more about this. He says, If anyone builds on this foundation, this belief in Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D in day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So as we, or others, build onto our faith in Jesus, building can happen in two different ways. As this passage says, building on the foundation of Jesus in a person's life can be done using gold, silver, or costly stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Now these are building materials. Now Li- not, no one is literally going to come to you with these things and say, hey, Jeff, I want to build on your life with Jesus Christ. So here's some gold. And, and, he's, and then you're going to become more mature in Christ. This is a metaphor, remember? So let's just keep that in perspective. But the gold, silver, and, and costly stones represent one way of building onto this foundation in Jesus. And the wood, hay, and straw, they represent another, another way. And here's the key. Gold, silver, and costly stones can all withstand fire. They all share that common characteristic. They can be exposed to fire, and fire will not burn them up. Wood, hay, and straw, however, are all very flammable, and when they are exposed to fire, they will be burned up, and there will be nothing left eventually. So our belief in Jesus can be added to with further understanding about Jesus and a lifestyle that is good and a desire to honor Him and serve Him and learn more about Him. Those things are represented by gold, silver, and costly stones. These are imperishable qualities that add on to our faith in Jesus. But our belief in Jesus can also be added to with a lack of understanding or a lifestyle that isn't honoring to Jesus that makes it look more like we're still living like the person who needed to be saved from our sins instead of the person that has been, is so thankful because we've been saved from our sins. And those things are represented by the wood, hay, and straw. So do you see the difference in the two categories? Gold, silver, costly, stones, those represent the good things that we add into our life that honor Jesus. Wood, hay, and straw are the things that are of no value that dishonor God, and we should not focus on bringing those things into our life. So when it says the day, in verse 13, it's referring to judgment day, the day when Christ will return to judge the world. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, uh, has this to say, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So here's what Christ's judgment of us will be like. At the end of verse 13, it says, fire will test the quality, the quality of each person's work. Remember, once again, this is a metaphor. All of these things are symbolic. There will not, I don't believe there will actually be gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, and straw, and a fire that we're going to have to walk through, okay? But the fire represents the judgment of God or of Christ. So when it says, like fire tests and reveals what is perishable and what is not, Jesus will judge us and will reveal, his judgment of us will reveal what we have allowed to be built on our foundation in him. Whether it's good God-honoring things or evil God-dishonoring things, all things will be exposed for what they are on judgment day. Now, there's a two-fold way To think about this judgment okay we have to understand the context of this passage so that we don't miss what this is saying remember Paul is writing to an entire church he's not writing to an individual he's writing to Christ's body in the city of Corinth he's saying that his teaching about Jesus is the spiritual foundation for the Corinthians and other people are adding on to this foundation So Paul gave them the foundation. He gave the entire church the foundation. And now someone else is adding to the entire church's foundation in Jesus. So this judgment is directed first, I believe, at church leadership. Because these are the people who are laying the foundation and adding to the foundation. Teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. Right? All of these kind of people with gifts of speaking and teaching and edifying the body, they are the first ones who are going to be held accountable for what they added on to the faith of people in the church. So here in our case, who are the people who are going to be held in the most greatest account for what happens at the Christian Fellowship Church? Well, this would be pastors, first of all, both past, present, and future pastors all of these people will stand before Christ and they will have to answer for what they taught here at this church. As well board members and deacons. These people have also taken on a leadership responsibility where what they say goes. As a matter of fact our Constitution says that the final interpretive authority of the Bible rests with the church board. Now that's not a responsibility that anyone should enter into lightly because if we have a dilemma here in this church the, the, the board is the one who decides what the scripture says. And what if we get it right? Well, gold, silver, and, and costly stones for everyone. That's a beautiful thing. What if we get it wrong? Who's responsible? Well, our constitution says that that responsibility lies with the board. So that's why it says in James, not everyone should assume to be teachers. Not everyone should assume a position like that because there is a greater standard. And I'm not saying this because I'm like warning everyone or, or I want to call down fire. I just want us to understand, oh, Jesus, you've done such a wonderful thing by warning us here in Scripture to make sure that what we're doing is going to matter at the end. Isn't that, isn't that good that God would include that in Scriptures so that we're not standing before him one day surprised? Oh, you, you mean you care about how I lived my life? No, we don't, we don't have to be surprised. We can say, Jesus... I know that it wasn't perfect, but man, I I was looking to your word. I was looking to you, and we just wanted to do what was right. Please reveal in me what is not right, because I don't even want to have that in my life. And by his mercy, those things are burned up so that they will not follow us into eternity. It's like a cleansing is happening. I'm not going to go too far into that, but that's what I feel is happening also in God's judgment. So first of all, this judgment is based or is directed to leaders and teachers in the church. But the second part of this judgment is also for the individual believer. Each person, each and every one of us, no one is exempt from this. We all have a responsibility for spiritually feeding ourselves and nourishing ourselves, serving the Lord, using our time for God's work, and living a Christ-centered life. I will not be able to stand before the Lord one day and say, what? Lord, I tried, but my pastors sucked. They just didn't do anything for me and they didn't lead me to do anything that was good in your eyes. Actually, Jeff, I gave you a Bible. You own like 12 of them. Why didn't you read it? And I gave you a direct line of communication to me through my Holy Spirit. Why didn't you pray? I would have given you everything that you needed. 2 Peter 1 from 3 to 11 talks about how Christ has given us everything we need everything for living a godly life i think of those passages i think of my life i think of you and we pray and we pray and we pray because none of us will have an excuse none of us will be able to say lord i didn't know and especially after this message today looking at this passage we have no excuse friends it's such a glorious thing to shed the, the, the mind of humanity and take on the mind of Christ, that we may serve Him, that we may love Him, that we may devote our entire lives to Him. And there's nothing more exciting. Yeah. Verse 14. If... If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. So here we're looking at the results of this judgment. I love this verse. I love that God starts with this for us. Isn't it awesome to know that God wants to reward us for the good and obedient things we have done as a result of trusting in Him? And if there's things in our lives that we do here... And there's a great verse at the end of this this letter that says, uh, work hard and enthusiastically for the Lord because you know that nothing you ever do for the Lord is useless. That's a great encouragement because sometimes we feel like, what's the point? I'm just one person. What can I do that will make a difference to anyone, right? I've thought that. As a pastor, I've thought that. In the last month, I've wondered, oh, is this even going to matter? Will anyone care? Will this make a difference? But we take courage and we say, yeah, we work hard knowing that God will bless it and he'll he'll make it bigger, he'll, he'll grow it because that's what he does for his glory. And when we stand before God and he says, I see your efforts, I see your intentions, I see the sacrifice you made, and now because you worked for me instead of for you, I'm giving you a reward. Welcome, well done, good and faithful servant. I love that. In Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, Look, These are the words of Jesus. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give it to each person according to what they have done. Thank you, Jesus, for being generous. Thank you for wanting to give us a reward. Thank you that you're not just judging us and say, well, I guess I'll let you in. But you actually reward us for the life lived in obedience to you. If you're wondering about rewards in heaven, by the way, I've done some research on this, and this would be a whole other message, so we're not going to get into this right now. But if you're wondering, Jeff, what are the rewards of heaven? Like, what am I even looking forward to? And you want to know these things so that you have more motivation for your life here and now? Talk to me. Please, talk to me. There are so many exciting things that I would love to share with you, but that'll have to be in another conversation. Verse 15 offers us the flip side of reward. It says, when you're judged, when the fire of judgment comes, if it is burned up, these works that we've built on our lives, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. This is the alternative. If the work we have done in our lives or have done in the lives of others amounts to nothing because it promotes ideas and lifestyles that are not in agreement with Jesus or his word, that work, those efforts, that blood, sweat, and tears that we poured into that sort of lifestyle will all be burned up because it has no value. This doesn't mean that we will be denied entry into heaven, though. We have to read this for what it says, not what we hear sometimes. So it doesn't say that someone is going to be burned up and they will not be allowed into heaven, but the work that they have done will be burned up. And here's the mercy of God. Oh, this is just so gracious and merciful that God would say this. He said, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved Isn't that, isn't it true? Like on the day of salvation when we trusted in Jesus, we needed to be saved. Yet here it is on judgment day as well and the saving goodness of God is still at work. Isn't that wonderful, friends? And it's, it'll be, it's going to be harrowing. I think it's going to be hair-raising and and nerve-wracking and it's going to get our attention because we're going to be as people escaping through a wall of flames like someone barely getting into heaven by the skin of their teeth. But through God's goodness, all things are possible. He can do a great work in anyone's life as long as Jesus is that foundation. Because if that's the only thing that we have, we have the one thing that matters. We don't get into heaven by works. We get into heaven through faith in Christ. He is the foundation of our lives. So I want to stop here for just a moment and pause and and give us some time to, to think about this, okay? So these kind of passages are included in the Bible for a reason. Not to scare us or cause us to worry, but I believe that passages like this exist to help us to fear God. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we fear God and understand that, that we will answer to Him one day, it motivates us to live for Him now. If we didn't think that there was anything, any reason, any answer that we were going to stand before the Lord to give, we would live however we want. And it would be a wretched life because we would live for ourselves. And we need that conviction. We need the Lord to say, guys, I'm going to call you to an account. And I'm telling you this so that you will not be caught off guard, but so that you can make the appropriate adjustments now through the power of my Holy Spirit in your lives so that one day we can stand together and celebrate the good things that you have done through my power in your life. When we fear God and understand that we will answer to him one day, it motivates us. I want a reward from Jesus. Do you? Do you? All right, just making sure. Salvation is not the reward. I want want us to be crystal clear on that. Salvation is not the reward. Salvation is the gift, okay? So that's already been given. That's already been something that God has brought into our lives, and we can be assured of salvation if we've trusted in the name of Jesus Christ. But the reward comes from serving God, from doing the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. This idea about doing good and having our lives tested by Jesus, it makes me think of John 15, verse 16, where where he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I love this idea, friends. I think that every person here wants to have a fruitful life, a life that, that produces good things for God that will last forever. They're not just going to be here today and gone tomorrow, a flash in the pan, something that's going to rot away, but it's actually going to be something that's going to last. And when we see this, this judgment passage and we see gold, silver, and costly stones, those are the things that are going to last. So we see two different analogies, fruit and those building materials, but nonetheless, when they're tested by God, when they are produced in our lives by God and the power of His Holy Spirit, those are the things that we can be assured of that will last. And those are the things that will give us reward in heaven. It is actually so wonderful and exciting. So I want to I ask a question here because this is a lot to think about, and I think it's good for us to process together, and I'd invite you to respond. This isn't a way to put anyone on the spot, and I'm not also offering an opportunity to brag. But if we want to build things onto this foundation of Jesus that are going to last, we need some examples of what that might be. So maybe you've heard of something, or maybe you've tried something, or maybe for years you've been doing something in your life that you feel the Lord has led you to do because this is something that will bear lasting fruit. It's going to be that gold, silver, and costly stones, stuff that will pass the judgment of God. So I'm asking the question, What are you doing these days to build on your foundation of faith? Would anyone be willing to share an example of what they're doing to build on that foundation of faith, so we can share and try these things together? Yeah, absolutely. Being daily rooted in in Scripture and spending time with Jesus—that's wonderful. Thanks, Catherine. Anyone else? Yeah. As iron sharpens iron, so so a friend sharpens a friend, right? We need Christian community because we build one another up. Thank you very much, Karen. Melissa. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful doing that with kids, too, because they ask the questions that we don't even think of. It's like, oh, how do I explain this? And then we understand it better. That's great. Thank you, Melissa. Adriana. Cool. And there's a little Bible study that's going on in Marco Polo. Very good. That's great. Yes. Yeah, devotional. Good. Very good. Very good. Anyone else? Suzanne. When we look at the word together, isn't it marvelous how, like, you see something, Casey, and then Rachel, you're like, whoa, but Casey, I saw this, and and we can learn from each other, and it's wonderful. That's that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else? Any other ideas? What builds onto this faith in Jesus that we know is going to bear this lasting fruit? Kent. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, just even asking, like, Lord, what do you have for me today? You're making yourself available to him. That's just a, such a, a humble posture to start your day with. Thank you for sharing that. Be an, Be an example. Yeah, we always, every one of us has some sort of influence on someone else, don't we, Doris? So, like, to live a life that is exemplary for someone else so that they can say, oh, Doris loves Jesus, so I want to love Jesus like Doris does, we're, we're influencing someone else. That's great. Confession of sins, yeah. We don't let these things linger that have caused us to be separated from God. We say, God, I, my relationship with you is the only thing that matters. I need to deal with that. I don't want those things to stand between us. Very good. For me, I have, uh, I have a prayer list in my office. I've talked about this before, but I have the names of people on there that I'm praying for um, pretty much daily. People who know Jesus and people who don't. I, I, want, I want so badly... I want so badly for, for the whole community who can do to know Jesus. Man, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful that we're here. We love this town. And I just, every day, like literally every day, I'm not exaggerating, God affirms what he's doing here, and we're just excited to be a part of it. That's, and that brings me to another point. Like A way to build onto our faith in Jesus is see where God's at work and join him in doing that already. Don't think that you have to recreate the wheel or you have to come up with like something brand new that no one's ever thought of. If you see Jesus working through another person in church or a ministry at church, say, hey, I see Jesus here, I want to join because where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And then good things are built onto our life that way. How about sharing the good news with anyone? Has anyone in the last month, just curious, has anyone in the last month told someone else about Jesus? Praise the Lord. Guys, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's dig in on that. Because, man, if we add to that foundation with the good news of Jesus, how can we go wrong, right? So, like, there's a lot of good things that we see going on here. Let's just be faithful to continue on with these things. I don't want to let off the gas in my own life because I don't think God's done, and I know that uh, if he's not done, neither am I. So after this passage about judgment and the the fire and, and things like that, Paul asks some rhetorical questions here in verse 16 and 17. He says, Don't you know that you yourselves, and he's talking to the church, are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. I love this verse. When I, when I read this verse and it's like the Holy Spirit gave me a new revelation on how to understand this thing, I was brought to tears in my office this week because here we see the passion of God for his church. He loves the church. He's going to protect the church. And if anyone, through any intentions, whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether it's direct or, or subconscious, if they come against the church and introduce something that is not of God that is threatening his church, they will feel the wrath of God. And I'm thankful for that. Because you know what, if I I make a mistake, I want to be corrected. If you make a mistake, I absolutely want God to correct you as well. God's church is so crucial, it's so important. We can't let any idea or practice or theology creep in here that takes us away from Scripture. We need to be so focused on these things. Some of us might ask, okay, God, you said that you're going to destroy the person who tries to destroy your church. Why would you be so crazy like that? Isn't that reckless? Isn't that kind of wild? Isn't that a little bit like 11 out of 10 on the scale of love? Well, look at this. In, in Ephesians 5:25 to 27, God's, or the writer here, Paul, he's talking about marriage, but he's comparing it to how Christ loves the church. He says a husband should love his wife as much as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. So here's how Christ loved the church. He gave his life for it. He made the church holy by the power of his word, and he made it pure by washing it with water. Christ did this so that he would have a glorious and holy church without faults or spots or wrinkles or any other flaws. So we are the church that Jesus has that, Jesus, uh, that are meant to be Jesus' pure and unblemished bride. He loves the church. He gave his life for the church. And if anyone's going to mess with his church, they're messing with God. We just, we just have to be aware. and That's why we can't think like humans, like the Corinthians were. We can't do that. God's church, God's way, God's will, that's it. Verse 18 to 23 kind of has the conclusion of this passage. Let's just go over these verses here for a moment. 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age or by human standards, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. To show that, the only, that only God's ways matter in God's church, Paul punctuates his argument against aligning with human leaders one final time, saying it's foolish especially when we consider that all things are yours. Okay, so what does Paul mean when he says all things are yours? It's like Paul is saying, in your wisdom, you've settled for one tiny sliver of the pie of all of faith in Jesus. You've, you've focused in on one thing that you thought was wise, and that's the leader who is teaching you things. Guys, you're, you're, you're boxing Jesus in and you're settling for so little when Christ has actually conquered all things, and through him all things are yours. His death on the cross was, was victorious. It was a victory that he exercised his power, his authority, and over absolutely everything. Now Jesus is the final authority over all people. So all teachers who speak the name of Jesus Christ have a benefit to you. Why would you choose between them? He says, or, and it says here that Jesus also took authority over the world that we live in. We don't have to fear the world. We don't have to fear what's coming against us as a church. We don't have to fear life. We don't have to fear death because Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whether we live for Jesus or die for Jesus, it's still all about Jesus. So why would we fear either one of these things? The present and the future, both today and eternity, those are under Christ. We belong to this victorious king. If we set our hearts on him, we have more than we could ever imagine. So don't limit yourself by thinking with human wisdom about the church but understand that Christ's power and authority is over all things. Why? For the benefit of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body and it is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So the big point, friends, the big point that we need to catch today is that when we use human wisdom in the church, we play right into Satan's hands. In John 10.10, it says that the thief's purpose, and the thief is another name for Satan, he wants to steal and kill and destroy. If he can warp our thinking so that we focus on adding useless and even destructive practices and ideas to our foundation in Jesus, He makes us as a church weak, he makes us powerless, and he makes us inept in being the church that God has saved us to be. But when we as a church stay focused on Jesus, realizing his unlimited authority over all things for our benefit, what a great God, then our church is free to live in the fullness that Christ intended. Let's pray. Lord, this passage is just absolutely incredible. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have spoken everything that we needed to hear today into our hearts. I don't, feel, I don't feel like I can do this passage justice. It's just so remarkable how we can clearly see your passion for your church and how you're willing to stand against the things that are going to come in here, like human thinking, ungodly thinking, evil concepts, that might derail us from knowing you and loving you. You stand up against those things and you protect us from those things. Jesus, as your church, would you please forgive us for the times where we've been a part of bringing those things into your church, anything that would resemble wood, hay, or straw, anything that is of no value, anything that is of our heart and mind and not yours. And Jesus, would you please encourage us and confirm the things that are good, the gold, silver, and costly stones that we, can, that we can implement in this church to add on to our faith, the things that agree with your word, the things that are directed by your Holy Spirit, the ideas and the, the theology and the notions and the practices that promote your kingdom and your love. That's what we want to focus on, Jesus. We are your church, just like we sang in that last song. We cannot forget, we are your church, and that's all that matters. Amen.